This is Timestamp, the podcast dedicated to capturing this moment in time. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Today's episode, Honoring Others' Brilliance. My guest today is Fred, who identifies as himself and an African-American and uses he, him pronouns. I think the thing that alarms me the most is well-meaning people who continuously lack inclusion, transparency, accountability, and diversity, and often plan for other communities without consulting them, nor having them at the table to address something many of those individuals who are sitting at the table have never experienced in their lives. I find that kind of thought process alarming, even in our current state of awareness with regards to George Floyd, Brianna, and other citizens that have been slain by our system. I don't understand how a person who hasn't had a shared experience can ponder a response without talking to people who have a different lived experience and presume that that response is adequate because of their understanding from an external set of circumstances. I think that that's dangerous. I think it's egocentric. I think it's appalling. And I think it's illuminating. I think what it details is that despite people's commitment through words to be different, there lacks the discipline to actually be different. There lacks the resolve to be inclusive. There lacks the capacity to be transparent. And I say these things with the kindness of heart and mind because I believe that many of the people I'm referring to are people who are well-intended. Being well-intended does not give you a pass on ignoring the right of self-determination of other people. It's even more alarming that they cannot release the resources necessary for those communities to be self-sufficient. Inherently, there's a blind spot. There is something that is not allowing, supporting, or creating the condition in well-meaning people to relinquish control, to share the stage, to open up the purse strings to create a systemic change opportunity in people who are quite capable of taking care of themselves. Despite feedback from communities on how best to address issues, there has been a wanted disregard for dominant culture people to listen to and adhere to what is coming from communities as just practices. I cannot understand how and why people who care about other people will not relinquish 
their power and resources to support a person or person's desire for self-sufficiency through a lens that they understand better than other people. I find it difficult to understand how and why this continues at such a heightened level and people, I'm saying all people, sit by without outrage as to what we're experiencing. I am weary beyond belief at the state of America and well-meaning people who believe that in this moment to have an awakening period in which you in which you acknowledge the unjust treatment of black and brown people as being appalling through a theoretical framework that allows us to have courageous conversations without action it is indescribable and it's unacceptable and incorrigible for people to think to have that to have that conversation is significant for many of us who are black and brown we've lived our entire lives under the duress of that pedagogy and for our friends and colleagues to awaken in this moment and find this activity appalling and to think that having a conversation about it resolves the matter is unacceptable and for people to say, I don't know what to do, means that you are saying to me, you don't know how to be human. You don't know how to look at me and say, I should treat you the same way I treat my brother, my colleague, my husband, my cousin, my father. Just because my skin is a different color, it doesn't make me less than human. I am tired of people who want to talk to me about how they're feeling about my experience. I am much more interested in people saying to me, here is my commitment to deconstruct racial institutions that have harmed you and your people and your colleagues and your family members and your friends and other black and brown people around the globe for over 400 years. I today commit to deconstructing those systems and working beside you as a thought partner to invoke within my capacity the ability to mitigate those dynamics and risks. And because I don't have your experience, I am committing myself to following your lead, your direction, and to your discretion what I should and could do to support your efforts. I find it incredibly important in this moment that we as a people should honor other people's brilliance, other people's ability for self-resilience, others oppressed people's need to lead and to find the courage for other people to support that leadership without hesitation or mental reservation. That's what I think is most important in this moment for me.
If the most important thing to most people is their family, what better way can we demonstrate that through our work? What are some of the things we can consider to ensure that there's a balance between how we generate revenue for our economy and how we honor our family and community? This pandemic has pushed many of us to the edge of a virtual reality. I find it tiresome to go from meeting to meeting to meeting virtually without even a bathroom break. People have figured out that we can just keep having meetings because you're not going anywhere and they just stack them one after another after another. The mental fatigue associated with that is a direct correlation to our inability to honor our families. Even in this moment, our activity is driven far more towards preserving our economy than honoring our families. This moment offers a glimpse into a pivot that allows us to put our families first. When we think about how we can honor our families, how we can honor our time, how we can honor our community, I can speak to what my wife and my family have done I go outside now and to the left of my backyard is a garden that wasn't there 25 weeks ago. I've watched my children and my wife go out, plant seeds and reconnect with the earth. I watch my wife and kids take access food from our garden to our neighbors. I watch my family bring back access food from other people's farms or organic places and and bring them back to our home so this notion that it's all about money it's an inaccurate notion in many ways way the way we honor one another is by sharing sharing our thoughts sharing our access sharing our excess sharing our beliefs, our resources, our way of being. For far too long, work has been a place where you go and execute a task and you're defined by work. The pandemic has restructured that. Your title doesn't mean a thing in your basement or your kitchen or your dining room. The corner office you had on Wall Street or downtown doesn't look or feel the same when it's your back porch or your bedroom or your child's desk. And in this moment is the opportunity to define our future. We need solutions that honor all people. We need to listen to other people who have historically been marginalized and whose voices have been hampered by our desire to produce an economy to scale that serves a few and not all. There are a small group 
of Americans who control more wealth than many of us combined. At what point it, do you have enough money? At what point is your family secure for the future? At what point can you sit on more resources than you need and not provide support to other people who desire the same things you want? And we're very quick as a people to blame homelessness, uh, poor, poorly educated people, uh, people in broken down ghetto communities as not being hungry enough, not being driven enough, not having the pedigree to survive. Uh, a Lyndon Baines Johnson's framework of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Anyone who believes that does not understand institutional racism. Anyone that believes that you can just make it without taking into account the other things that are at play every day of someone else's life that doesn't look like you just articulates at a higher level how many blind spots we have. People look at me and assume that the success I have is applicable to other people that look like me. It's not that easy. I'm an anomaly in the sense that I grew up on a street where many of my friends didn't make it. I went to a school where many of my friends are either in jail, on probation, on parole, or moved out of the city of Pittsburgh. In no way have I ever considered myself to be better than any of those people. I was blessed and fortunate to make different decisions. Because let me be quite honest, I did some of the same things they did out of being deprived, out of being hungry, out of being having a sense of hopelessness. I just was able to navigate my challenges differently than they were. I am not better than they are. I am fortunate. And this notion that I just pulled myself up by my own bootstraps defies that other people had to open the door for me, had to hear me, had to honor me, had to give me a chance, and I had to prove myself. I'm not automatically granted that like other people are. And when we don't understand privilege, when we don't understand that everybody doesn't wake up with the same privileges we have, if we believe through our ignorance that we understand everybody's way of being, what they need, how they function, I in no way ever believe that I understand what it is to be white. I understand what it is to not be white in America but I can't imagine what it is to have privilege. I can't imagine what it feels like to walk in a store and not be followed. I can't imagine going to a store and asking how much, um, what uh, can I be waiting on? And the person says to me, can you afford that? I can't imagine what it feels like to be pulled over by the police and feel confident that I can mouth off or confront the police officer without a response that might not end in my life being taken. 
I can't imagine what that feels like. I can't imagine going for a loan and knowing my credit is not A1 and still getting the optimum prime rate. I can't imagine walking into any community or in any home or any business and feeling like I have a right to be here. I can't imagine what that feels like. And so when you walk around with that privilege and you don't take one moment to consider how a black or brown or other person has to navigate your world, your community, your business, your society, then you've lost the greatest asset you have, and that's your humanity. Without that, we are nothing. We all rely on each other. We're interconnected. This notion that I can survive without other people is a falsehood. It doesn't reflect any reality that I know. Even the richest people in the world need somebody to take care of their needs. And even in that moment, you can express humility and humanity to those who serve you. Just because they're of a different social economic status doesn't mean they're less worthy to be treated as human. In many ways, they are owed more humanity because they're serving you, because you're capable of being served. And yet, we take that for granted. So in this moment, during the pandemic, where we've lost over 160,000 Americans to date, we have to ask ourselves, could we have been different? Could our actions have saved lives? Was our rush to reopen more of a focus on the economy than our people? Thank you for listening. Timestamp is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and original music by Maddie Schuler. You can find us at timestamppodcast.com. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well. <laughs>